Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today. We are continuing our look at the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 4 today. We're probably going to be in this little piece of chapter 4, which is the temptations of Jesus after his baptism, um, for a little bit, actually. There, there are a lot of concepts here that are important, important for us to understand from a Jewish perspective, and, and also to understand how, in some ways, we can speak to our Jewish brothers and sisters um, about issues like Satan, because it, he's not the same. He, he is not understood the same way in Judaism than he, that he, as he is in Christianity. And I'm always going to go with Christianity because, well, Jesus talks a lot about it. So we're going to have to go in that direction and say, well, okay, so what's happened? Did Jesus introduce a brand new concept here with this Satan figure? Um, or, or, or is there a predicate for that that would make this uh, the stories about Satan comprehensible to a Jewish mind uh, based on Jewish theology? So that, that's the key question. I would say that there's a very undeveloped or underdeveloped doctrine of Satan in the Old Testament, and then with Jesus comes a fuller exposition and a greater understanding of actually how the world works in, in many, many ways. There, there are things we need to know about, um, about how uh, Jewish rabbis and Jewish people then understand um, how the world works and what, what is the nature of human nature. And, and these are important things to know in order to understand the gospel, because it's, it's written, as I said a million times, um, to a specific group of people and with a specific worldview. And so they're, they're coming out of Judaism into Christianity. Therefore, there are certain things that, that have to be understood in a different way. And so one of the biggest issues is the, the issue of human nature. So we're going to cross that barrier within this lesson. Uh, what is the nature of human nature? What then is the, the understanding of Satan, the devil, the tempter? All of those phrases, all of those terms are used here in chapter 4. What are the... Um, temptations, specific temptations posed to Jesus here, and what's his response to those temptations. So we have a lot to cover, but all of it in every gospel account that gives us the temptations, which would be the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us this story. John doesn't. John doesn't tell us about the baptism. He doesn't tell us about uh, this story. There, there are a great many things that John doesn't tell us about. John's gospel can be understood sort of as a book of signs. And the reason I would say that is because in, in chapter 21, John says, I told you these things and, and left out a whole bunch of other stuff so that you would believe. Right? So he wanted to tell you the things that Jesus did and the things Jesus said that points to his identity. And so that's the stuff John gives us. Matthew is trying to give us an account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in a way that fits and shows the fit with Jewish prophetic literature. So here, when we have this that begins with Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, there's a lot going on there, right? <laughs> Why would the Spirit lead Jesus up to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Why would, why would it happen in that way? Well, 
You know, I, I don't know about you, but if you've ever done any kind of ministry, mission work, any of that sort of thing, one of the things you'll find is is that that when you sort of when that period ends, like if you've gone on a mission trip and, and you've just been so close to God, you know, if you've been in a situation where you've been taken outside of your comfort zone and you're in a place where you're just relying on God and you're trying to navigate day to day and you're sharing the gospel and you're doing whatever along the way, then then you just feel this extraordinary closeness to God in those situations. And then when you come back, when you, when you re- return to your normal life, you have changed in some ways and yet the people around you have not. And so they didn't experience the same thing you did. And so you have new and fresh insights into things and possibly a little too much enthusiasm (laughs) for that. Um, And now you're trying to impose that on others. And then those people will reject that and they'll push back against it. Oh, you've become the super spiritual person or whatever. And and then we, we land in a bad place. And so here Jesus has come from hearing the Father proclaim from heaven, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately the Spirit leads him up to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the the way to understand certain kinds of things is, is the wilderness is the domain of demons in Jewish theology. That's the way they understand it. So the reason he would go to the wilderness to be tempted, it's actually an offensive move as opposed to a defensive move. I don't mean it's offensive in the sense that um, he's, somebody's offended by it. No, it's a very offensive thing to do because he's taking the battle to the wilderness, to the demons. And so when Jesus goes out into that wilderness place, those waste places, those uninhabited places, that that's exactly what what's going to happen. That would be a Jewish expectation that if you went into the wilderness alone, then then you're going into the domain of demons. And so the Spirit leads Jesus there for one specific reason, is to be tempted by Satan. So it's a very, uh, it's Jesus going, it's it's the Father going on offense, taking the battle to Satan, saying, give me what you got. And then puts Jesus in a, a precarious position, he fasts 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. So there are only two people ever that we see in Scripture who fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and that's Moses when he went up on the mountain, and Elijah when he went out into the wilderness, when God sent him into the wilderness because he had left the people behind. And, and not only that, his pride got the better of him, and he proclaimed that he was the only one left. And God has to show him later, no, I have a bunch that you don't know anything about. You're not alone. It feels like you're alone, but you're not alone. And here, Jesus is alone because he's one of a kind. And and now he's driven into the wilderness, and so it, it even then weakened further. But at the same time, if you've ever fasted, that's another experience of being close to God. So it's not just that he's physically weak and hungry and all that. Also, he has had closeness with the Father at this time. And so 40 days have elapsed, and the tempter came. And so in, in the first, pair, uh, first um, verse, he's going to be tempted by the devil, and now here the tempter came and said to him. So is this tempter the same thing as the devil? And then later on he's going to be referred to as Satan. And so the, the, the question that becomes, well, is this the same one in all these places? 
And the answer is yes. And so that, that pushes us in the direction of, well, who is this? I mean, from a Christian perspective, we know. We, we know who, the, who Satan is. He's a fallen angel, right? Who opposes God's plan of redemption, opposes God in every way, and, and w- wishes to have his own way. He knows he's not God. He knows he's a created being, and he was created by Yahweh. But at the same time, he has experienced a long season of having power and no judgment against him. There, there, this all goes back in, in so many ways. This all goes back to um, Genesis 6, which is the beginning of the flood and, it, and the Nephilim, those uh, sons of God who saw that the daughters of uh, man were beautiful and took them as wives. And so then now we're, we're mixing two things. And so these would be fallen angels. And then you see it again in um, at, with the sin of the, uh, the Tower of Babel, even though it's not clear there. It, it's made clearer a little later in Deuteronomy. And, it, and that would be Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. This is speaking of um, the Tower of Babel. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind... He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Well, who are the sons of God? Well, those are the angelic beings. And so when it says that he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God, what, it's, what it means there is that the, um, the sons of God, he divided up the nations and, and set these sons of God over the nations. And then says, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So what we see is that, that the gods of the nations are actually angelic beings that are, that are falsely worshipped. And these, these ones that are falsely worshipped refuse to pay homage and give due glory to the Father. That They take it for themselves. And so that's exactly where that's coming from. So who, who, who is this Satan? Well, he would be the prince of these. They would be under his control. They've submitted themselves to him at some level, and, and therefore he is the one who controls these places and, and controls those places. And so the gospel, when the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed, when the kingdom of God is proclaimed into a place, then, then that's spiritual warfare. So the very proclamation of the gospel outside the land of Israel is, a, is an act of spiritual warfare, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be way more aware of that than we are. So, so when we do that, then, then we need to be prayed up. When we preach the gospel, we need to pray up, and then afterwards we need to pray again. We, we need to always be in prayer, asking God to protect us. That's the nature of the covenant relationship, is, is that, that we need to ask God for that protection so that we can then give him glory when he provides that protection for us. So here we are in the wilderness. And again, a- another way of seeing it is on uh, the day of Yom Kippur when, when the two goats are sent out. One is sent out into, one is sacrificed. The other is sent out where? It's sent out into the wilderness. And so the, it, it's there to take away sin into the place where sin and demonic uh, powers reside. So, Jesus is now in this wilderness. He is alone. Now we're told in Luke's gospel that that angels ministered to him in that place. So the the tempter comes, 
then and and begins to present temptations to Jesus. And so we need to understand then who this tempter is, and, and that he is, in the Old Testament, always referred to as the Satan. Never just Satan. It always takes the definite article, the, not a, the. So it, it, when we see this, when we see Satan as a personal noun, a personal name in the New Testament, there, there's a bit of a change that's happened there because the Jewish understanding of, um, of this whole thing is different from the Christian understanding. It, they see the Satan as an angel, not a fallen angel, who is doing his job. His job is to tempt mankind and to tempt mankind in such a way that, that mankind is able to be strong in faith. You know, and so we talk about testing our faith. We talk about our faith being tested all the time. That's exactly the way they see it. They see the Satan is doing the job of, of strengthening mankind's reliance on God and knowledge of God by tempting him to make bad choices. And they believe in, in a human nature that's guided by two different forces. And one of those is the Yetzer Ha-Ra, which is, we, we seem to sometimes refer to that as the evil inclination, but that's not a really good way to do it, to be honest with you. And the other is the Yetzer Tov, it's the, the good inclination. And a better way of looking at that might be to say that the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination, is the altruistic inclination, which is to say that, that this is the nature that we are born with, that, that we don't, we're not selfish and self-seeking and all that. We have an altruistic view of things. We have a, a more humble and a more generous view of things. And so it's not completely self-seeking. And that's the way they understand the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Hara. Now, the other thing is, is that, that they say that it's present, the, the Yetzer Hara is present from birth, and that good impulse is, comes at the age of 13, which in Judaism is the, account of, uh, uh, the age of accountability. It, it's when they will get bar mitzvahed, and so now they're responsible for the law. So the Yetzer Tov serves a purpose. It's not, it's not evil in the sense that, that it's necessarily evil. It's just selfishness. And so that, that self-centered kind of thing, it is, it's like sort of if you were looking at it in Freudian terms, you would say that the Yetzer Hara is the id. It's, it's that part of human nature which is more or less governed by desire. And then the Yetzer Tov would be analogous to the, um, the superego that moderates and that the, it then becomes the way of harnessing the evil inclination. So, the, and so what, where does it come from? It comes from knowledge of God and the knowledge of good and evil which should come from God, which should come from his word and not from outside his word, which is what we're trying to say now in the world we live in, which is a post-Christian world. We're saying that the knowledge of good and evil comes from somewhere like experience. I experience this as pleasant, pleasurable, and good. Therefore, it is good. Well, that's your definition. It's not God's definition. And so the the way that the, that the ego the personal life of the of the individual is formed is in moderating the innate desires of things through the word of god and so is it wrong to have a desire for a member to have sex with a member of the opposite sex and the answer is no it's not wrong 
generically to have that. That's something that's part of human nature, and it's there for the propagation of the species, to use an evolutionary biology term. But but it's it's there, in a better way of saying that, it's there in order to fulfill the very first commandment God ever gave to, to, to humankind, which is to be fruitful and multiply. But, but the Yetzer Tov, then the good inclination, and had they not gone to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they would have gotten this directly from God, it is they would never have had a, had a personal experience of evil, that they would have only gotten this from God. So, so yes, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, but within the confines of, of, of marriage. But the, So the yetzer harat needs to be directed, and it needs to be moderated. And so it's the word of God that gives us the moderation of that, that that says this is not evil in and of itself, but but if we pursue those desires just as desires, then we become incredibly self-centered people, and, and we don't understand God's plan for that, because now we're just chasing after the wind, as uh, Solomon says, and, and, and what he says is, I followed the desires of my heart, this is in Ecclesiastes, and, and I sought all these things, and you know what, at the end of the day, what I see is they're seeking after the wind. And so that can be the problem with the Yetzer Hara, but it, but it can be channeled into constructive activities like building a house to provide shelter for you and your family, married, being faithful, begetting children, and modeling for them a life of appropriate following of God, conducting your business affairs honestly. There's nothing wrong with having business affairs, but you've got to do it in an honest way. It can't be just for the sake of greed, just for the sake of having more and more and more. And so that's where the problem comes in. And so Satan's job, the way Judaism understands it, is to help us along that path, to tempt us away from following the pathway of God. And then we learn from our mistakes. And so that, or we get strong and we stand against it, you know, which is exactly what Peter says to do. And James says to do, resist the devil and he'll flee. You know, understand, Peter says, that you have an enemy. And he, he's like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. And, and that's exactly the way we need to look at it. And it's the same image from um, uh, Genesis 4 where God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you must overcome it. So it's a challenge to us to overcome that inclination to sin, that inclination that lives within us. And that's exactly what God's telling Cain he must do. Well, here's the great thing about living this side of Easter, as my father-in-law would say, and that is is that, that you're not alone. You have Christ in you by the power of the Holy Spirit to stand against that temptation. You just need to come up with the idea that I really need to stand against temptation because sin matters. Sin separates me from God. It ultimately separates me from other people as well. And so that that's the way to look at this whole idea of being tempted is, is that, that tests are there. Temptations are things we need to be able to see through. We need to be able to see the point of what's going on here. Where's this going to lead? What's going to happen if I do this? And, and why should I not do it? And sometimes it goes back to the things that we have to say to our children, the things that were said to us. Why is the question, and the answer is, because I said so. You can't understand fully the ramifications for the time being. You're just going to have to be content with, I said so. You'll learn through your life why. 
And, and so that's the issue here. When Jesus comes to into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan, who is he being tempted by? And we're going to spend more time talking about that. But 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 we've got to understand what does it mean for us then when when we're tempted. You know, it, we can, we can be tempted at the top of the mountain, or we can be tempted at the in the in the deepest valley. So we can be tempted when we're when we're on a spiritual high, but we can also be tempted when we're on a spiritual low. But there's always help available to us if we'll rely on it, if we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And so here the tempter comes. After 40 days, the tempter comes and begins this set of temptations. Now, Christian theology is different in our understanding of Satan, and we'll talk about that more tomorrow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.